Welcome to STEM Fatale, your woman in science history podcast. <laughs> um, I'm Emma Dilemma. And I'm Emlyn Gremlin. That felt weird. I think we we usually do it the other way. Like do you we? say it. <laughs> I don't like you say first and then I literally I say blank it. out every time we talk. <laughs> I so I don't know what happens. It's all just a fog at this point, I guess. Um yeah, this is. Uh, I always do this too. I always restate the premise. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they told you to do, right? You like, you state the hypothesis, mm-hmm. then you restate the hypothesis, right? But for like English papers, oh, at the beginning, the middle, uh, I see the, the yeah. five paragraph. Um, the what's it? What's the analogy? It's like a boxing ring or something, right? Excuse me. I just remember some kind of weird boxing analogy for papers. Just punch it out <laughs> in the ring. In one punch, two punch, three punch. Is that how you fit papers into a three ring binder? <laughs> oh yeah, probably <laughs> okay. three punch, and then the rings fit on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 <laughs> It's a good intro. Anyway, this is your Women in Science History <laughs> podcast. Um, How's yeah. it going with you? It's going pretty good. You know, semester's off to a good yeah. start. Um, taught animal behavior today. Nice. And that was fun. Showed a uh, jumping spider dance to my students. And some of them just stared blankly while <laughs> others were like, ooh. Anyone terrified? No, but I told them that I'm going to be showing them a lot of pro spider propaganda over the course (laughs) of the semester. So I think they they might be terrified now. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) how are things for you, Emlyn? They're good. Um, Every time I look at stats, I want to cry. Yes. And I have doubt to my very core about who I am as a person. (laughs) And so, yeah, and about whether you understand the fundamentals of anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it really shakes you. So, I just experienced that today. So, that was fun. Oh, man. That sounds tough. So, who are we talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, I wanted to ask you kind of a fun question. Okay. <laughs> um, and that is what's your favorite outfit to wear while you're doing field work? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to describe this in great detail. Okay. Start from the bottom to the top. Great. Now we're here. Uh, <laughs> at the Does bottom. Drake do field work? <laughs> from the bottom, okay. now we're here. Yeah. Uh, he might. He does his own type of field work. Did Drake start from the bottom, though? No, he started so. from Degrassi, mm-hmm. and now he here. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, booties. Yes. Like scuba booties. Oh. Then those hiking pants that you can like rip off the legs of. Oh uh, yeah, zip offs. The zip offs. Yes. Very important. Hell yeah. Then those a fe- then a tank top, then a field shirt, then one of those like um things that go over your face. Oh, 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 oh. I know what you're talking about. Uh huh. They're they're kind of just like a foreskin for your neck. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But in like fun <laughs> colors. <laughs> What are they called? No. Turtlenecks. No. Exactly. <laughs> they're kind of the neck part of a turtleneck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know mm-hmm. you're talking. Freaking A. I know what they're called. I know. Oh, it's on tip of my tongue. I'll think ah. of it. And then a, a little hat. Oh, kind of hat. Um, a field hat. <laughs> I don't know. One that you can crumple up, but yeah. it's also. Does that go over your neck? Is there a neck flap? There's Mine not a neck a flap. Neck That's flap. what the, the turtleneck <laughs> thing is for. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Love is that it. enough detail for you? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's great. <laughs> you don't seem like you mean it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Sorry. That's great. That's great. I'm not a very enthusiastic person. <laughs> it's really hard for me to like have that tone. I just don't have that tone. <laughs> Pretend I'm Millie or Fluffy. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Please don't do that. Oh, yeah. Emily. <laughs> Come to me. Win, win. <laughs> okay. Th- that's similar to what I wear. 
thanks to uh, <laughs> clothing outfitters like Academy Sports, REI, etc., that now provide <laughs> field clothing for women. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited. I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> oh, God. I think I took it too far already. No, it's perfect. Keep um, me guessing all the way. But none of these things, these comfortable field clothes, were available for today's lady of the hour, Dr. Florence Bascom. Oh, okay. The so first American female geologist. Nice. Considered the first American geologist. What did she wear? Or are we getting to that later? She liked to wear a leather jacket. Yes. Hot. A split skirt, which is just a lo- really long, heavy skirt. That has a split down the front, like starting from, you know, thigh. Okay. Not, not just- like fully split down <laughs> the front and not pants, but so you could move your legs okay. back and gotcha, forth gotcha, and, gotcha. and hike and sturdy shoes, nice. whatever that means. But I, also a very good look. But there's also pictures of her. She'll have like these nice blouses and like little scarves and these big wide hats that are nice. kind of fancy looking. Um. Like However, she was going to go to a derby maybe later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Drink some mint juice. A really tough derby. <laughs> Where the horses are actually uh-huh. like motorcycles. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, however, this outfit still was not feminine enough for her university president. Okay. <laughs> a story we'll get to in due time. In due time. So, are you ready to hear about Dr. Florence Bascom? I'm. I couldn't be more ready. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You really couldn't. No. No. The time is upon us. It is. All right. That's a little better. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I'm like... Oh, I know. Okay. It's like you're turning farther and farther away from the microphone. <laughs> okay. So, Florence was born on July 14th, 1862. So, right in the middle of the American Civil War. Um... But she lived in Williamstown, Massachusetts, so sh- her family was kind of separated from most of the war. Okay. Like, yeah, I've never war, read I anything about it, I really. don't think it got up that far. Seems like a long way to try. I guess it probably did. I mean, yeah, I know people nothing. from the North were fighting, but... I know it got to New Jersey. Yeah, but, I mean, people traveled down there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not that far. <laughs> <laughs> Massachusetts seems so high up there. Yeah, that's true, yeah. I mean, Florence was a baby, so she, <laughs> so she was wasn't involved in the in war. The war. No. Okay, good. I was worried about uh-huh. her. <laughs> her father, John Bascom, was an oratory and rhetoric professor at Williams College, and her mother, Emma Bascom, was a teacher. Emma just <laughs> was a teacher and women's rights activist involved in the women's suffrage movement. Nice. So, despite the volatility of the time, they were fairly well off um, and fully supportive and encouraging of women's education. Nice. When most universities didn't even let females attend. Yeah. So, growing up, Florence was interested in a lot of different subjects. She attended the Almira Hart Lincoln Phelps Patapsco Institute. <laughs> like, that's her oh. elementary school, it rolls I think. off the tongue. <laughs> or middle school. Um, which strangely taught science women because they thought it would strengthen their domestic life. Got to Well, there's a lot of science in baking. You got to ah. know baking soda, baking powder, oh, which is it? Cleaning products. Cleaning too. products. How are Vinegar. you going to get those stains out of my pants? <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> it makes is that sense to me. something you yell at Andres all the time? <laughs> get these stains out of my pants. <laughs> okay. Why don't you science better? <laughs> Her father uh, struggled a little bit with anxious depression and would often take Florence and her four, three or four siblings. <laughs> he did various know. Up, up year to year. It varies. <laughs> well, it did vary. Yeah, year to but year. I doubt it went up. No, and no. down <laughs> quite. Uh, he would take them on trips to the nearby mountains um, to exercise and explore. Mm-hmm. Kind of, they would get outside a lot, basically. Okay. Um, That's how you'd lose them. Yeah. (laughs) That's why there's only one. No, just kidding. Ugh, bad joke. (laughs) (laughs) Joke. Okay. In addition, her parents had lots of lab equipment around, like thermometers, 
basically just to encourage this their kids scientific interests. Okay. Neither of them are scientists though. They just I think they sci- just like collecting weird things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or they have a double life that we don't know about. A double life as a scientist? Why would you hide that? It's true. Why would you hide that? Well, why would you? You know, taking over the world, pinky in the brain kind mm. of thing, maybe. Seems not to have worked. <laughs> <laughs> you mean we're not called the United States of Bascom now? <laughs> uh, uh, nope. The United World of Bascom? <laughs> okay. So when Florence was 12, they moved to Madison, Wisconsin. Heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? I'm just kind of delirious. I didn't sleep a lot last night. <sighs> they moved to Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> because her father had gotten a job as the president. <laughs> Maybe he did take over the world. President of the University of Wisconsin. Uh, just to further his plans, you know? <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Okay, me too. Uh, So, as president (laughs) of the University of Wisconsin, her father had been set on opening up the school to women. Nice. So, he was all for co-education. And so, by the time Florence graduated high school in 1877, she was able to enroll there. Um, and her sisters were also enrolled. Awesome. So one of them enrolled a couple years o- earlier and one enrolled the same time she did. She and one of her sisters, Jean, joined the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority. Nice. Kappa. So like as soon as women are allowed in the like sororities. Yeah. Well, because and they attended literary meetings at Ladies Hall. And it's because... They were basically excluded from a ton of the men's yeah, like academic fair. groups and clubs. Yeah, where they smoke cigars and yeah, they drink smoke cigars, take off their pants, <laughs> uh, ask somebody to clean their stains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things like that. Makes sense. Um, so they were a little bit more. I mean, I think some sororities and fraternities are pretty academic still, but at that time they were like a women's group to discuss you know, things they're learning in class okay. and, like, really just further their education. Gotcha. Yeah. But also to socialize <laughs> and make friends. You gotta make friends. There's probably, like, you know, a sad ratio of women to men. Well, yeah. So, of the 357 students... You read my mind. Ugh. This was the next sentence. Of the 357 students, 93 were women. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, the school is pretty small at that yeah. point, but still that's more than i thought yeah actually but still yeah but this was like one of the few universities where co-education was allowed yeah that's right yeah the women are flocking yeah and despite her father's efforts women (laughs) now i keep thinking of him as like this evil genius (laughs) (laughs) okay despite her father's efforts um Women still had separate lecture buildings and could only work in the library on specific days. And he, his efforts were to bring more women yeah. there. Yeah. So he would also teach Florence at home as she considered many of her classes inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> she graduated with her Bachelor's of Arts and Bachelor's of Letters in 1882. And she had taken a course in geology at that point but had not uh, no particular focus in geology. Okay. She was just like, I know things. Yeah, she just was taking whatever okay. classes. Um, for the next year, she stayed in Madison, riding horses, beekeeping, oil painting, uh, but soon became restless. Though she was applying for teaching jobs elsewhere, her father suggested she stay and take a geology course with Roland Irving, a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and after an unsuccessful application to teach to, to a teaching job, she decided to take more science courses. Okay. Basically. Fine, I'll go back to school. Yeah. I think Roland Irving is a famous geologist. His name comes up a lot, and people are, a lot of the things I read were like, 
with Roland Irby. Yeah. And I was like, okay, hopefully geologists recognize that name. Let us know. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> Maybe he's like terrible. I have yeah. no idea. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> or we probably won't. Yeah. So she re-enrolled, started taking upper level science courses to get her bachelor's of science. Okay, so Roland Irving, famous guy. Sure. One of the was one of the pioneers of microscopical petro Petroleum? I knew I was going to say this word wrong. Petrography. <laughs> Petro- petrography. Petrography. Okay. Or, <laughs> which is essentially just the description and classification of rocks. <laughs> okay, why does it need to be so com- difficult to say? And I'm, I kept wondering, like, is that different just from geology? But it seems like it's petrography specifically is like, looking at thin sections of rock to describe them and mostly under a microscope. I was wondering if it was kind of the same distinction as like systematics versus evolution or like systematics versus biology. It's like, yeah, phylogenetics is like the classification of. Right. Yeah. And she learned those skills from him, the microscope work basically in his classes. Um, And she also learned assaying (laughs) metallurgy from his student, Charles Van Hys, who I also believe might be a famous geologist. Okay, he was name-dropped a lot. I'm going to start name-dropping him, too. Yeah, me too. She graduated with her BS in 1884 and started a teaching job soon after at Hampton University in Virginia. There, she taught physical geography, but seemed to be ill all the time and had a general malaise from not knowing a lot of people. And her mom, she was always, like, really close with her parents, mm-hmm. and they would always be like, come back to Madison, and, like, come back to us. And Okay, so she ended up leaving that job after it was over um, and going back to spending time with her family in Madison. Okay. In 1885, she decided to pursue a master's degree at UW-Madison with Roland Irving and Charles Van Hines. I hear they're great. Master's? No, both of those. Oh, yeah. I hear they're very famous. Yeah, they come up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wasn't, however, invited to do field work with all the men in of the course. department. And felt, felt like she was kind of behind because she couldn't fully understand the connections between all these things that they were bringing back from the field and what they were seeing out there. Like, they would bring back sections of rock and be like, oh, this is part of this big thing mm-hmm. and this place and this temperature and this deep and whatever. And she was just like, I wish I could see that, yeah. you know. <laughs> also, it's the most fun part. Yeah, so exactly. that sucks. Um, but she still, like, worked really hard in the lab. And after two years, she received her master's in microscopic lithology. Um, and it was titled The Sheet Gabros of Lake Superior where gabbros are coarse-grained, dark-colored, intrusive, igneous rock. Okay. Yeah, and she just described their, like, fine details of them. Nice. Um, However, there's no formal record of this thesis, either because she was a woman admitted solely to the master's program because her father was president of the Mm -hmm. university, or because Irving died a year after she graduated and so never actually published this work. Or third option, part of the master plan by her father, Right, we weren't ready for it. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. She knew too much. About Lake Superior. About Lake Superior. <laughs> the rocks of Lake Superior have hidden secrets we shall never know. We shall never know. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, that's a good hypothesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're forming <laughs> like a lot of hypotheses. <laughs> okay. Cannot be tested. Around the same time, Florence's father decided to leave his job um, because the school, oh, sorry, because he was getting too progressive for the regents um, and kept disagreeing with them on how to run the school. And they kept taking away his powers, kind of. And like they would do things like send him letters about how stress and work is bad for women. And so women at the university shouldn't be taking as many classes or something. I feel like people send the same exact letters now. 
Um, especially bad for women who want to bear children. Oh, How yes. dare they work too hard? <laughs> but it's for the benefit of the women who uh-huh. do not know how to run their own lives, yeah. you know? Um, and he would be like, look, dudes. <laughs> uh, like, for for instance, when he, they sent him a letter like that, he looked up the data and was like, actually, more of our male students took sick days last year than women. So, fuck I off. Love a, I love a data man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he basically had had it by the mm-hmm. time she, by the time Florence graduated and decided to move the whole family back to Williamstown. Okay. And Florence went with them. Yeah. While there, she, they were kind of low on money and she was like, I want to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. And her older sister had taken on the responsibilities of like doing all the domestic work in the house. Cleaning so she, those pants. Yeah. Cleaning the pants. Making those cakes. Right. So she got a job teaching Greek and geology at a local high school. <laughs> Where'd the Greek come in there? She took a bunch of language okay. classes. Yeah. She knew Greek, maybe French. I can't remember. Yeah. French or German. How dare you not know? I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. But then she ended up taking a job at Rockford Female Seminary College in Illinois because it would pay more, basically. Okay. And the seminary allowed, it was a women's college and it allowed her to teach upper level geology courses, which was pretty cool yeah. for her, like mineralogy and crystallography. And they had an extensive geology collection that she could use in her teaching. However, she was given a really extreme course load, which also included classes like astronomy and Bible study, which she Those had are never not studied. Geography. <laughs> yeah. And geology. They're yeah. also not geography. She, but yeah, she doesn't she study geography, geography. So she kind of studied geography. Did she? Like mapping and stuff okay. too, yeah. But still, um, that's a, a right. very wide breadth still, too to much. teach. And she eventually started looking to do something else. Her father offered to help her get teaching positions at other universities like Vassar and Mount Holyoke, which mm-hmm. were women's colleges that were open at that time. But Florence wanted to pursue her PhD. And mostly because she thought having field experience would get her a better... Uh, position at any university yeah so she applied to work at johns hopkins which at the time did not admit women yeah makes sense i mean Um, it doesn't make sense but i'm not surprised yeah she got many supportive letters from the different people she'd worked with at wisconsin and from her dad yeah (laughs) and then submitted her petition to enroll and she first sent this to a geologist george williams who had worked with her and some of her professors at Wisconsin briefly, and whom she hoped she could convince, oh, she hoped he could help convince the president to let her enroll. And they finally invited her to attend the geology courses. Okay, this seems like she's not in. But she could not enroll Mm -hmm. as a student, um... She had to pay lab fees, but she didn't have to pay tuition, so that was good. Well, yeah. Okay. But she also couldn't get scholarships or funding okay. of any sort, so I don't know. Could and she actually get a PhD? It was hard. Okay. Yeah. She Tell was me more. also forced to sit behind a screen so Excuse as not me. to disturb the men in the class whose education was the priority. <laughs> <laughs> gonna compose myself for yeah a second. isn't that insane what is wrong what is wrong with people's perception of men i don't know during this time that they didn't think men had the like it just doesn't look good it looks worse for men i think because yeah do men not have the capacity to be in a room with a woman without like wetting themselves no self-control there needed to be women always cleaning their pants uh if their d's are too hard they can't learn geology (laughs) (laughs) only the rock should be hard Uh, so behind a screen isn't that fucked up willy no it's like um uh wizard of oz yeah yeah don't yeah i don't i couldn't there were no like pictures of this of course like i don't know it would just be a white 
if she could see the professor. I don't could know she see like, if she could see the board or if it was like all the men were on the left and she was on the right. I have no idea. So, so isn't unnecessary. That really and she was like one of the only women on the entire campus. Like there were no female Did she have to carry that screen with her from class to class? <laughs> like <laughs> I just buy one great screen. question. Uh, seems like way more effort. <sighs> so much effort. It's amazing. Um, when she complained to her family of male students and faculty staring at her through the screen. <laughs> no, just walking around. Okay, yeah. Not through, <laughs> I was like, like how? They're their heads so over the screen. Uh, her father told her, "You better put a stone or two in your pockets to throw at those heads that are thrust out of windows." I didn't. I don't like the term "thrust" in that yeah. statement. For one. But and funny is just telling her to throw rocks at him. She's a geologist. It's so. true. <laughs> She's got him lying around. She's carrying him wherever she goes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty. Maybe. Pretty maybe people's inter like didn't think men could focus because they couldn't. But that's and sad. She had to reapply every year to be there. Like petition to keep continuing taking courses every year. Luckily, she had an advisor, George Williams, and another man whose name I forgot to write down, who not important let her take their classes and were always like she's like vouching for her. Okay, that's good. So, in her courses with George Williams, she learned various petrography methods, Mm -hmm. like looking at the thin rock sections under polarized light. Um, She also finally had an opportunity to conduct field work. Nice. Studying the rocks of the Piedmont region of Maryland and Pennsylvania, work for which she became best known. Nice. So she would wear long skirts with gaiters and would hammer rocks while people stared and wonder what a woman was doing working outside with all these men. (laughs) When you say gaiters, do you mean... I don't know. I'm guessing that's like rain boots, not like alligators tied to her feet. No, no. It's G-A-I-T-E-R. Oh. So it's not waiters. I don't know what gators are. Okay. Yeah. Maybe gar. It's not a garter. Yeah, I don't know. Garter. I have to look it up. Someone else could look it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I um, feel like they're on her feet. That's all. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And they're like held up somehow. Mm, okay. Yeah. Could be, could be. Like overall boots. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this picture we're painting, (laughs) even if it's totally false. It's probably like a hat. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. When working alone, farmers would occasionally threaten her with trespassing. And I guess multiple times she was chased by enraged bulls. Oh, my God. (laughs) Not the farmers. (laughs) Um, She also met a lot of other geologists during that time because Williams Uh was a really good teacher and field geologist and drew many people from the U.S. Geological Survey to that to their school okay. to work with him. And he wasn't much older than her. She was 30 at the time. He was 36. So they, it wasn't like he was this old dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's good. Um, and, when Florence went, and when Florence began doing her independent study work, although uh, George was concerned how it would look if he accompanied her, to the field as he did with all his other students Mm -hmm. like just the two of them but luckily his wife agreed to come along (laughs) so that Florence could complete her thesis well that's consider I mean I I don't know it I it also I also read that like she came with them kind of for the overnight part but Mm -hmm. not necessarily like in the field yeah is more I think for like camping and staying in the wherever they stayed cabins maybe yeah i'm sure at the time you don't want to give somebody a like bad reputation right yeah something like that i don't know still ridiculous that yeah it's ridiculous that you would feel like you had to do that to keep somebody's um yeah yeah okay so it was on their trips to south mountain in pennsylvania that florence and george began finding evidence of volcanic activity in the area um, in 1893, she published a paper on this work in the Journal of Geology titled The Structions, <laughs> The Structures, Origin, and Nomenclature of the Acid Volcanic Rocks of South Mountain. And in this paper, she came up with the term 
aporiolite, which describes a volcanic rock that has undergone extreme metamorphosis from glassy to fine-grained. Oh. And she, yeah, she was the first person to use this term. Nice. And she describes how the mountain was made of altered volcanic rock, a concept which, according to the Baltimore American, changed the opinion of two generations of geologists who all thought it was sedimentary rock. Oh, nice. So they didn't realize that there was had been a volcano yeah. there, I guess? I don't know why, but yeah. they must have just been studying the wrong regions mm-hmm. of it or something. I don't know. <laughs> Geology. <laughs> it seems kind of obvious. Like, reading their... Like, they were just walking around and they saw, like, pumice and, like... <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, they might not have known those rocks were volcanic mm-hmm. until that time, or I'm it was heterogeneous. Sure. So like nobody, ac- who, no right. geologist had actually yeah. like found an area where there was it was still like, yeah. exposed or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This work was so impressive that it was incorporated into the Maryland Geological Survey and convinced her professor she should get a PhD because nice. she had the ability, energy, and enthusiasm that could be expected of any man. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. Um, at least convinced George Williams. Yeah. yeah. So at the same time, George received a letter from the president saying her time was up again. Time Which president? Of the university. Okay. Not her dad. <laughs> Or the president. No, no, sorry. <laughs> right. Or the president. Yeah. <laughs> of uh, The president of Johns Hopkins. Okay. Uh, saying like, oh, she, you know, was running out of time. She had to like renew, though they didn't want her to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And George, seeing how great of a researcher she was, said she should be allowed to stay and and that she had completed all the necessary work for her doctoral thesis. Go, George. And they were just like, ugh. Fine. We do not want to give her that. It will set a bad precedent. Other women will start wanting to come here. I don't think they can do it. Um, she therefore formally applied for her PhD, and it was approved secretly because the trustees did not want other women to think this was a new normal for the university. Oh, my God. By the end of 1983, she had received the semi-secret PhD from Johns Hopkins, the first woman to receive a PhD from the university, and the second woman to receive a PhD in geology in the U.S., and the only woman to receive a PhD from Johns Hopkins until 1911, almost 30 years later. However, despite not wanting to set a precedent, her graduation was published publicized widely in newspapers around the country yeah fuck you Johns Hopkins you can't keep this a secret and um and she didn't attend her graduation because she didn't like the fame and whatnot Mm -hmm. but apparently when her name was read it caused loud long vociferous applause oh I love that yeah which is really like exciting and she was on a field trip with George Williams and other students at the time yeah nice (laughs) that's a better use than going to graduation uh yeah, yeah way better So after her PhD, she took a teaching job at Ohio State University for a couple years. She had a family friend there who got her the job or helped her get the job um, before being recruited to found the Department of Geology at Bryn Mawr in 1895. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Bryn Mawr is an all-women's college, which had been founded about 10 years earlier by professors from Johns Hopkins. Um who had an interest in recruiting other professors with a strong background in research, mm-hmm. so not just a teaching college. At the time she was hired, however, Bryn Mawr was not providing much funding or space to geology because the president, who was a woman, uh, didn't think it would be an appealing subject to women. It's yeah. not if you don't have any funding or space for it. But, like, they had a science building that taught chemistry, biology, and something else. Yeah, why, it's like, why not geology? Yeah. And I think part of it was, like, the field aspect of mm-hmm. it. Expand your mind. Aspect. Yeah. Bryn Mawr? Um, they gave Florence a small office and the fourth floor, which was technically a storage floor for their building, um, and they gave her one classroom big enough for 12 students. But she continued to push for more students and better facilities and began expanding the university's collections and geology lab facilities. 
And her classes were so popular that she proposed starting an undergraduate geology major. Nice. Yeah. In 1896, she became the first woman appointed to the U.S. Geological Survey, or USGS, Mm -hmm. which is basically, um, yeah, it had been created about 70 years earlier with the aim of classification of public lands and examination of the geological structure, mineral resources, and products of the national domain. So it's basically a bunch of geologists describing the geology of the U.S. (laughs) Getting their geology on them. Yeah. And she was originally appointed as an assistant, but later became a full geologist. And this appointment gave her access to a lot of equipment, resources, and colleagues that were unavailable at Bryn Mawr. Like, she was the only geologist at Bryn Mawr. That's got to be a little lonely. Yeah. So, during her summer vacations, she would go into the field walking, riding her horse, or driving a buggy in the mountains to gather rocks, uh, take notes, and map crystalline formations of the mid-Atlantic Piedmont region. Nice. And she wrote, this is the life, to plunge (laughs) into the wholesome isolation of the field, to return to the simulating association of Bryn Mawr, to observe and impart to clear up geological phenomena, and to return to the exposition and interpretation of geological phenomena. <laughs> what a life. Yeah. Um, so, like, she just loved going into the field yeah. in the summer and coming back and teaching the rest of the year, basically. By 1899, she had acquired a microscope and a collection of thin sections of different rocks and begun teaching petrography. Said it. <laughs> I said it. Got it. <laughs> And by 1903, she had advanced to full professor and hired another professor to teach in the department. Nice. So she no longer had to teach all of the geology classes. When you say in the department, is the department geology? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't just the department of one. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was just like a CNS, you know, a natural sciences department. And by 1906, though, she had started a graduate program in geology that became known international. (laughs) words too many words um so she not only lectured but took a lot of her students out to do field work at the pre-cambrian crystalline formations into the pleistocene and cretaceous fossils and rocks near the campus nice and these were all like female students so she was training kind of the next really the first generation Mm -hmm. of female geologists Yeah. yeah um and let's see, despite Fl- Florence's great reputation and the popularity of the geology department, Martha Thomas, the college's president, Bryn Mawr's president, uh-huh. <laughs> still did not see geology as an appropriate field for women and at some point demoted Florence's course to a science, or, uh, sorry, demoted Florence's major to an elective. And so... She, for instance, she was annoyed that Florence insisted on wearing attire that was not ladylike in uh-huh. the field, her leather jacket, when the school required professors to wear a white shirt, waist, skirt, and black robe at all times, which is just <laughs> not like, great. Who cares? Working in the field. <laughs> yeah. But after Martha canceled the geology major, Florence threatened to resign and her students protested nice. and it was like reinstated. That's awesome. And they never got along, and Florence would, like, join committees, basically, to try to take Martha down. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it and seems it just, like... Yeah. What was her deal? I don't know. To be one of the, like, first women colleges, but then also think women aren't capable of, or, yeah. like, shouldn't do certain things. It's like, that just doesn't make yeah. sense. It but was... It's just a very... Um, conservative? I guess, yeah. A woman working for the patriarchy, yeah. I guess. So, um, anyway, Florence worked really hard to train future female geologists and took the mentor-apprentice relationship, (laughs) God, very seriously. And um, she often hoped her students would become her colleagues and was disappointed when some of her talented students were, quote, lost to the sciences by marriage. (laughs) Um, However, several of her students became leaders in their field, including, like, Ida Helen Ogilvie, I don't know, but who earned a PhD from Columbia and was the first woman to teach graduate courses in geology at a major coeducational university. Nice. And let's see, 
So this is sort of later in her career. I didn't read a lot about like her day-to-day research, Mm -hmm. except that she would just keep going back to the same region of Pennsylvania and Maryland and describing the rocks. I love it. It Sounds (laughs) like a good geologist. Sounds like a good (laughs) summary. Yeah. Or yeah. But um, she became the second woman selected as a fellow of the Geological Society of America. Nice. And the first woman elected an officer in 1924. And um, she was listed as a four-starred geologist. <laughs> I didn't f- know we got star. Like In the first edition of the American Men of Science. <laughs> <laughs> was it up to five and she didn't get five because she wasn't a man? I don't know, actually. They said four-star means you're a prominent geologist. Oh, okay. So that's pretty weird, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Man of the Year Award, yeah. all that jazz. And let's see, from 1896 to 1905, she was associate editor for American Geologists. In 1928, she retired from teaching, but not from research and mentoring. She mm-hmm. would still go in the field. She would still, like... Wear that leather jacket. Yeah, take... There's a picture of her and, like, four other women all riding horses in their field gear down this really steep mountain. It's pretty cool. Sounds All pretty wearing badass. fancy hats. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Um, also, when she retired, she finally cut her hair in the style that she wanted, a bob. Nice. Um, since she no longer had to observe university protocol. They also had to have long hair? I guess. And, like, wear it up, though. <sighs> like, every picture of her, her hair is up, so it's sort of weird. Like, in a bun. If I can't wear it down, why won't you let me cut it? Yeah. Pretty stupid. And let's see, she uh, moved back to Williamstown and read books and picked berries. <laughs> she never cooked. She would ride her horse around. She would eat at nearby farms or heat up canned soup at home. I mean, I don't know whose farm she's uh, yeah, dropping into. Hey, Barry, hey, can you, you feed, food? please feed me? <laughs> um, I, I guess she also like started losing her memory slowly and just becoming... More just, and more eccentric, just I guess. wandering until people were yeah. like, you look like, can I feed you, please? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <clears throat> eventually, she moved in with her sister, and but she was still training researchers until like 1938, I guess. That's awesome. She died of a stroke from cerebral hemorrhaging on June 18th, 1945, at the age of 82, which is pretty old. old. Yeah. And let's see, overall, Florence Bascom was a great petrologist and field geologist who provided thorough descriptions of major areas in and around Pennsylvania. And much of her work is still used or referenced today. Mm -hmm. And she's also um, maybe even more well known for the students that she mentored at Bryn Mawr. So several of the most outstanding women geologists of the first half of the 20th century, like Ida Ogilvie, Eleanor Bliss Knopf, and Anna Jonas Stowes were among her disciples. And she inspired just many generations of women. In 1930, like in 1937, a total of 11 women were fellows of the Geological Society of America, and eight of them were her previous students. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And so that is Florence Bascom. I love yeah. it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Made me think a lot. It's like, I mean, I think this is still true today, but when you're trying to get new types of people into a field that's predominantly like white men, the first people who come in are people who have a lot of advantages. Right. Yes. And even though they have a lot of advantages, it's still a lot of difficulty in getting there, but they kind of are an anchor for helping other people Mm -hmm. who don't have necessarily those advantages from. Yeah getting into new fields so yeah like she couldn't have done any of this if her father hadn't been the president Mm -hmm. of a major university at the time but luckily she used that privilege to like help other people for the most part instead of just kind of uh i don't know not wasting it but just not taking advantage Mm -hmm. of it maybe or not realizing what she could do once she became powerful in her field you know that was awesome. I love it. That was great. All right. Work, 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 work. 
This is our section, uh, the women who work section. Yeah. Where we uh, give shout outs to badass women making Histerhurst today. Histerhurst today. Histerhurst today. Uh, Herstory. Okay. So this shout out, uh, this week's shout out goes to Hannah Grunwald, a PhD student in the lab of Kimberly Cooper. Yeah. At the University of California, San Diego. Woo woo. So this week, Grinwald and others published a paper in Nature reporting a method to create gene drives in mammals. (gasps) That's scary. I know. So I'm going to give a little background of what any of that means. So based on Mendelian inheritance, the likelihood in general that your mother or your father will pass down a particular gene is 50%. Yeah. Right? Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, With a gene drive, scientists attempt to engineer approaches that allow a specific gene copy to be passed down to the next generation with a likelihood of success above like 95%. That's what constitutes a gene drive. And this allows that gene to spread readily through a population. That's crazy. So this has been done successfully in insects Mm -hmm. to try and combat a wide variety of disease such as malaria and Mm -hmm. dengue uh, by eliminating or altering their mosquito hosts. So they get gene drives into mosquitoes, either eliminate the mosquitoes or prevent them from like attaching to people or right. spreading the malaria or whatnot. Yeah. So now the team at UC San Diego have made remarkable progress in creating a gene drive in mice and mammals in general. And they've done so by using the gene editing technique CRISPR. Yeah. Which I think we've talked about here before, maybe a little bit in maybe. terms of like... I mean, it's just like... You're editing the genome, yeah. like putting in a gene that you want. Apparently, um, one of the people in our department, they were having their committee <gasps> uh-huh. meeting or their their like quals. So they have to have the faculty ask them questions. Yeah. And one of the questions was, what is CRISPR? And she's Canadian. And she said, it's the drawer where you put the fruit in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But that's not what CRISPR yeah, is. So CRISPR essentially is just a system where you can cut DNA precisely <laughs> oh where you want gosh. to and then insert a different or modified gene into that cut. So yeah. it allows you to be really precise in gene editing. So one potential use of this rodent ge- gene drive would be to either like eliminate rodent infestations that carry disease or that destroy crops or to eliminate invasive rodent populations that kind of wipe out ecosystems on the Wow, that's cool. Yeah, okay. Um, And that made me think, so like, yeah, if you you have rodents on an island where they're not meant to be, they're going to pretty much destroy the whole ecosystem. You know what's the most invasive species on Earth? Humans. (laughs) (laughs) Are you, do you want to gene drive us? No, but I'm thinking that this is going to be a movie, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But did you have you listened to the radio lab about the goats on the Galapagos Island? No. Oh wait, yes. Wait, on the Galapagos? Yeah. Is it is that the one where the goats are standing on something on the cow? No. <laughs> That's another radio lab. Really? There's like so, a goat on a cow, or maybe it's a This American Life. I don't know. So there's a radio lab where there were goats that I guess some boat put onto one of the islands oh. and they just spread like wildfire. And that's where some of the Galapagos turtles are. And they were changing the ecosystem so that the Galapagos turtles were dying. Aww. And so they did this like huge elimination <gasps> procedure for the goats. There was like Aww. thousands of goats. And so they would like, what that's they would so sad. I think what they would do was they would like put one of them in heat or something. So all of the males would come and find the female and then they would go on a chopper and shoot them all. That is horrifying. They called it the Judas (laughs) go. Oh no, it was a tracker. And then the Judas sheep would go find another Judas goat would go Go. find another group of goats and they would go on the chopper and then shoot all of them except the Judas goat. And they just kept doing this until there was no, there was only the Judas goat, like thousands of goats. That's really messed up. So this would be an easier way. Maybe more ethical. Maybe more ethical. Yeah. Where they just kind of just die themselves. Yeah. Anyways, that's what I thought of. But also one of the things that they can use uh, this gene drive for 
is it may be useful in labs to speed up generation of animal models of disease because you can kind of insert a mutation that you're interested in and then get a line of Mm. mice that have um, that mutation of interest more quickly. Yeah. Okay. So although a gene drive is defined by increasing the likelihood of passing on a given gene by like 95%, in this study using the CRISPR method, they were able to pass on the specific gene um, by like 72% of the time. Hmm. 72% yeah. of the time it was this gene versus wow. the other one. Um, and so this work is still a long way to go to be a true gene drive because it's yeah. definitely not that high as it would need to be, but it's a big step in that direction. And so that's my that's my shout out. Cool. Uh, to Hannah Grunwald and the lab of Kimberly Cooper. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So lots of interesting yeah. like ethical, moral quandaries that we could yeah. get you could see us getting into with yeah, gene drives I feel and stuff like, like I that could but see, uh, people editing like gene drive into humans maybe not to kill us but to like make certain genes prevalent throughout the population or something there's the wild world. so many crazy things i know if robots don't take o- take over <laughs> gene editing is gonna mess everything <laughs> up anyway i know it is kind of scary you hope ever you hope people just are wise and yeah, ethical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like we have, well, hopefully we just have things in place so people let's know ho- when to <laughs> stop or what are the limitations. Uh, let's hope these people aren't anything like John Bascom. <laughs> <laughs> with, with his secret <laughs> hidden science takeover. Yeah. Did you know that John Bascom came up with gene editing? <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard that. Let's, let's also, we're spreading misinformation. Uh, he did Global not. warming. Also, I think he started that. Don't take that away from Eunice. <laughs> oh, she, don't, let's not blame Eunice. Oh, she, for didn't global. Start she didn't global start global warming. <laughs> Everybody just turns no, we're just on Eunice. starting but... like a million rumors. None right. of that last bit was true. Thank. Well, oh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the end of our show. So. It- <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving uh if you like to this show um and want to support us uh, it would be great if you rate review subscribe give us a rating on itunes share this on twitter just yeah. anything let people know that you like the pod and um we're all actually going to be it might already be out at this point but we're going to be on an episode of professors where they're talking about women in math and engineering and professors is a podcast that looks at pop culture history uh yada 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 all through the lens uh of uh lady eyes so it's a fun podcast that i really enjoy and they're very smart ladies Mm -hmm. um who are professors in history and english so they are more qualified than we are in (laughs) what we talk about yeah and so we also want to thank uh caitlin friesen for doing all of our art where you can buy stuff on redbubble if you're interested stickers and Mugs. mugs And uh, also Artichoke for our theme music. Yeah. And I think that, I think we've done that all. We're <laughs> I think that's it. I think and, that's um, it. I think everybody better go home and, and go stimulate yourself. yourself. <laughs> you seem to. I can't remember that. if it was stimulate you later. I don't know. <laughs> Every time. Stimulate Bye. yourself. Bye. By circa 1820, she ran a fossil